Welcome back to the Draft Season Podcast, brought to you by the Nickswall.com. As always, I am your host, Nick Carinanti, and today I have a very special guest, someone coming from Upside Swings Podcast. Yeah, it's Dunn Hansen. Hey. I'm excited to be on. Thanks for having me. I've been on a, another podcast already for the Knicks, um, so this is my second this cycle, so I'm breaking personal records. Uh, excited to be on here. and. Uh, you know, talk about some names. Yeah, I think you can put that on your your draft resume of a, you know multi time Knicks draft podcast guest. Yeah, for sure. I hope uh, that'll be at the top of my resume after this cycle. Um, I'm I'm glad we can help with that. But today we are not going to be talking about the Knicks. We are going to be talking about this class of international prospects. This is really one of my favorite my favorite parts of every cycle. It's what I, I love and I write about it and I talk about it ad nauseum. And we are known for, for doing, you know, a couple multi-hour international podcasts. And I'm going to try to, to keep it down this cycle for the, the sake of everybody's time. But also there are some reasons for that. And one of which is this international class is not what we have come to, to know from previous draft cycles. So Stone, go ahead and why don't, you give your opinions on the international draft class at large of 2022. Yeah. So as a whole, um, I think that I'm just relatively down on this international class. Um, that's not to say that there's nobody, you know, worth looking at or examining, but, uh, in relation to p- previous, uh, classes, there's just not a lot of guys that I'm super high on. Um, nobody really in the mix for me, like, uh, at least until like more of the late first round. Um, but, uh, I, I think that there's, uh, some names that are definitely worth looking at, uh, just nobody that I think is, is really in the mix, um, higher up that you usually see one or two, uh, in, in previous cases. Yeah. I think, you know, we're obviously we've taken for granted having legitimate international superstars, right? The NBA is trending that way. And then the draft has kind of followed suit whether you consider LaMelo, you know, an international or not, we had guys playing in the NBL. We had, you know, obviously NBL has been a, a hotbed with Josh Giddy last year, as well as, as the LaMellos and, and those kind of guys, even last year, which I don't think was an elite international class had Shangun and, and Giddy to kind of anchor it. There are no consensus. Yeah lottery prospects in the international class and a couple of the guys that we're going to talk about have incredibly high variance and one guy in particular you will see i personally think outrageously in like top eight top tens on big boards Uh, then you'll listen to a podcast such as your own that has him as as undraftable so it's just very different than other than other international classes, there aren't any solid players. I talked about this a little bit in my article that's coming out this week or by the time this drops um, last week. But a lot of times with international prospects, they're somewhat of known quantities. They're kids that we've been watching from, you know, various tournaments and U18, U15, right? If you took at someone like Denny Avdia, right? Who I, I was very high on Denny. But Denny also had played in every single possible level of Israeli basketball that he could. And there was a ton of, of tape out there and he was fairly safe for what he was going to be. Yeah, for sure. This year, I don't think we have any of those guys, right? I was looking at ESPN's way too early mock from last year and they had Yannick Sosa as the fourth pick of the draft. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I had him super. I, I think I had him top ten going into this class, but uh, he's very much not draftable for me now after this course of the cycle. But uh, yeah, you are correct. There's there's 
Um, I think Giovich has been on Raiders for a bit in Basan. Uh, I know Jiang has, but a lot of Jiang and Basan tape is not very accessible prior to the NBL. So I think that's, you know, maybe part of the reason. But I think, yeah, in general, you usually see one, two guys that are in the mix, uh, top 20 or so. I think that Jiang has a chance to be that, but uh, it's far from, from certainty at this point. Let's get into Tushman Jang because I think it is likely he is the first international player off the board. I wouldn't be shocked if he's not. He is someone that when you're looking at mock drafts, the idea of the Spurs at nine, I see fairly often. Thunder at 12 and another team that, you know, and I use those two teams as examples because they're the ones with the developmental track record right? They're the ones that, oh, they'll take a, a flyer on a international prospect, a high ceiling prospect, and they will be able to develop them and, and give them time, especially the Thunder, because who knows what they're doing, right? But you see Jang in those sort of conversations in the lottery, in the top 10. I know certain guys I follow on draft Twitter have him as like a top five upside player. And then again, I'll, I'll refer back to your Upside Swings International podcast where you, you guys refer to him as undraftable. Yeah, that's definitely the outlier, I think, that opinion. Uh, obviously, I don't believe he's going to get or be undrafted, but there is a lot of red flags and concerns I have regarding Jing. I'll start, I guess, specifically with the offense. Um, I think he's labeled or, or perceived as by a lot of people as sort of this point forward. Um, who's able to uh, create a lot. I think he's a very okay catch-and-shoot guy. The shooting is uh, not in particular like outstanding to me in any way. Uh, I actually think the touch is pretty bad once he gets um, more into the paint, uh, the finishing. Uh, he's not able to finish through contact at this point in time. Uh, a lot of it has to do with he has a very like sort of weak frame, but you know, he is still really young. So goes on. I think that'll improve and into will the finishing. Um, I think that he is he has the aesthetics of being like this guy you really want to bank on long term to to be uh the sort of can do it all wing, but um Similar, uh, on our odd podcast, I, I referenced, I was very high to Kevin Knox. Um, and I, I missed obviously <laughs> a lot, uh, no offense to Knicks fans, but, um, yeah, you know, I was super our, high our on Kevin Knox is, coming out of high school. Our uh, audience is very familiar with that, uh, that miss. <laughs> yeah. Not to put salt in the wound, but, um, I, I do really like, or I really liked Knox. Um, and a lot of it was because, you know, I think he had, a lot of the aesthetics, the tools to really develop. He was super young and, you know, Jang's not the same player as Knox, but I think the overarching sort of uh, scope when you zoom out is that he is sort of the same, the same case, right. Where it's like, this guy has a lot of the, the aesthetics, the frame, the body, everything that you sort of want in an NBA player, the tools to make it all happen but none of it, in my opinion, has really come to fruition yet. None of it is really something that you can be like, point to Jang and, and say, you know, he does this at an NBA level. Um, and that's really where a lot of my concerns lie. When you're a, a prospect, when you're an NBA player, and you have nothing that really says, like, you can definitively say he's going to bring this to an NBA rotation at a positive level, uh, it just leaves me room for concern because you're betting a lot on just development and trajectory without any real substance behind it. Yeah. And the funny thing about Jang, just a little context for those who are less familiar. Uh, and I, I talked about this, a, a decent amount in my piece. One of the reasons that he is being looked at as such a high rising prospect is you'll see these tweets and these takes of like, Oh, he put it together. He really got hot for this stretch. When in actuality, the beginning of his NBL season was so bad that the, the hot stretch that he had was really like a decent performance that was on par with what the expectations were at the beginning of the season. He just set the baseline so low because he was shooting like 
15%, you know, in the first month of the NBL season. Yeah. Um, that that's a good point that I think doesn't get discussed a lot either is a lot of people are referenced sort of the second half of Jang's season being like pointing to that, like, look at what he did. He's this lottery pick, but uh, the, the improvement looks so stark just because of how awful he actually was to begin the season. Uh, I don't remember the exact amount of games, uh, but somewhere in the ballpark of like the first 12 games or something, he shot like 9% from three. Um, it, it's, it's really bad. Um, obviously there's some context, um, to surrounding it where, uh, the whole team got wiped with COVID and there's some like coaching issues and, uh, they weren't able to play at home because of, of certain restrictions and things like that. But, uh, overall when in the, the first stretch of games he played just was, it was really awful. So the, the second half really pops, even though it's not that insane of production just because of how low the production was to start the season, like you're saying. So that is a good point to bring up. Yeah. I just think it, it's funny to me of like this idea that he put it together to just give you an average level of production. And also all of the issues that he saw the NBL, he would then again see in the NBA, which I'm not saying, you know, obviously he's a young prospect uh, recently turned 19, plenty of 19 year olds need developmental timeline. And again, with the more we're seeing the, whatever you want to call the prep to pro kind of stuff with guys going to the NBA, the G league, we do see that. We saw it with Jaden Hardy. We see it with guys that are now playing against grown men and they're not ready. But a lot of Jang's issues were, he's not physical. He was not able to compete physically at that level. And now coming into a higher physical league with better athletes and also much bigger size, you would see that same sort of spiral, I assume, before he puts it together again to get to whatever his average would be. And one of the things I appreciated you guys talking about on Upside Swings was, uh, you know, his passing, which I like. I do like, right? Because I do want to acknowledge there's legitimate upside. I'm not trying to put him down. Uh, I understand. I still have him as a first-round grade, and I understand why he's worth the risk because of the potential playmaking with the ball handling. But you guys talked about his passing just being like, well, he's tall. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I, I think he accesses passes that a lot of people can't because of the, the length and height he has. But um, I don't think that he has, I don't think he reads the floor at an exceptionally high rate. I think that um, a lot of his simplest or a lot of his passes are simplistic in nature in terms of the reads. Um, they're not overly complex, but I think he can, he has the ability to make fine passes. He's not like a negative reliability in that regard, but I think that um, he's overstated as sort of this point forward um, where I think he's more of, a connective passer, which I like in that regard. I think he's a fine connective passer, but uh, in terms of like being more of a playmaker, I don't really see that as something that's a part of Jing's game as of this point in time. Yeah. And that's where, to your point of like, what does he do at an NBA level definitively? Right. I'm not quite sure because I really, I do believe in the ball handler. I think the ball, I think he is one of the better ball handlers in the class and also even despite his size. And then also he's 6'10". Yeah. But what is he really doing with that without the jump shot, which I, I do not believe in the jump shot. I don't think he's given, I don't think there's really any signs to believe in. Um, he's never really put together consistent shooting. I don't believe in the touch. He's not a good free throw shooter. And without that jump shot, how is he going to be defended? Is he, you know, attacking closeouts, but is he even going to be given attention on, on the perimeter? Yeah. Um, and, and that's, you know, one of many concerns and in, in questions, there's just way too many questions surrounding Jing to, for me to feel comfortable having him, um, as high as a lot of people do, but, um, you know, without the shooting being accessible, I think that limits a lot of what he is as a player. 
Um, I think that, uh, you know, there's guys that can work around it that are, are fine players um, that are, are sort of these point forwards that have other skills to counterbalance the, the lack of efficient shooting or, or high volume shooting or anything. Um, and aesthetically, like Jing has a decent form. He can get like into these step backs that are really cool when they go in. But um, I think that it, it's really difficult for me to bank on that because like I said, there's, he's not a good touch guy. Like there's a, the, the NBL I think was a, a bad context for him in relation to where he is physically, because it, it has a reputation for being a very physical league. Uh, and it lives up to that. And, and there he's, there's a lot of things that are going to not fly in the NBA. The NBL does not call a lot of physical um, plays, but even when Jiang is like wide open um, for floaters or, or jumpers um, there's there and there's nobody contesting or, or bothering him. Uh, there's a lot of times where the misses are, are really bad um, that the touch is really concerning for me, the, the lack of it, I should say. Um, so projecting that into consistent shooting from deep um, is a difficult uh, case to make, I think. Yeah. And it, it's interesting. Cause I do think he has an aesthetically pleasing, you know, bag, right. He, people like the step back. I don't think it looks particularly pretty even when it goes in, but it's fun. And he goes to the floater, obviously the, the handle allows him to get into different kind of, you know, he has a pretty interesting shot profile. I think when you watch him and when you watch the tape, one thing that jumps out to me is he gets into his shots very fluidly. Like it looks good. He gets into these shots. Part of it is he can shoot over defenders, especially, you know, smaller defenders, but he gets into these shots very, very smoothly and it looks good. But just getting into the shots matter if the shots aren't going in. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is the first step in doing it. Like that is the more difficult aspect of shooting I think is actually creating the space to shoot uh, but if you can't maximize that and if like a, like the, the case I'm making if you're not able to really leverage passing out of that um, in a you know, over in a more than simplistic way um, I think it really limits the amount of perceived upside that that uh, he has surrounding him um, and then offensively too like there's just not a lot of um, there, there's not a lot of substance in terms of shot diet i think like he's not someone that like i said he's not really a finisher at this point um i don't think he's somebody that is going to be uh playing a lot of iso at least early on and i think that that's what a lot of people like about him um and i think that as a catch and shoot guy the numbers were horrific to start but obviously got to uh, a much better place as the season went on um, so I think that's something that you're sort of banking on when he comes in is like, that's, what's going to get him on the floor to get those developmental reps is he can be this catch and shoot guy. Um, but even then, like I said, I think there's a reason for skepticism surrounding that. Yeah. And again, there's a lot of different contexts that go into kind of what his role was. He was on a bad team again, as a young player in the NBL, I guess it just takes one team. Right. Yeah, that's always the case. There's always there's always one team that'll bite. Right, and the Thunder again have twelve. I think that's a fairly likely outcome. Is somebody just going to believe in the trajectory, the upside? Like this is a a six ten theoretical point forward with high level dribbling and then potential playmaking and shot creation. It yeah sounds, sounds good. <laughs> yeah i mean that's the attraction right because you don't get a lot of those guys and when you do they're highly valuable to an nba ecosystem but uh i understand very much why he's getting the hype that he is because the archetype is just so rare and so valuable but at the same time it's very much to me at least the the idea is much more appealing than the reality of what what has been produced so far so I think that's sort of, I land more on the, the pessimistic side of things uh, rather than, you know, the, the optimism, but I see why the optimism is there. Yeah. And 
the next guy I want to talk about and move on to is someone that I think you would also probably say you lean a little more on the pessimistic side than the consensus. And that <laughs> is Nikola Jovic. Yeah. Uh, Jovic, um, I, I am a little bit more pessimistic, but I do think with Jovic, there's some definitive like NBA things there with him. Some, some real things you can grasp onto and see, you know, th- he is going to produce this mostly, most notably the shooting. Uh, I think he is a very good shooter. Um, he, I think, especially at his size, uh, he has fantastic touch. He loves these little like six foot turnaround jumpers and he gets such a nice, beautiful high arc on them. And uh, usually they're, they're pretty money. Um, but uh, <laughs> where it really falls apart for Jovic is the defense. This is, um, it, it was painful to watch, honestly. <laughs> He's, uh, um, yeah, his, we always talk about, you know, like a guy who's a liability defensively for six, eight, six, nine, you can hide them. It's not as big deal if you're like six foot. And while that's the case for probably like 99% of, of, uh, instances with Jovic, he, he has lost on genuinely lost on almost every defensive possession. Um, it's really a stark contrast. Uh, I, I can't remember, honestly, a guy, um, at least this size with this, um, much of a lack of feel or uh, on where to be or place himself defensively. Um, it's one thing if you're you know not mobile enough or you see things happening, but um, you get in positions late. Uh, Jovic just genuinely is is a lost on <laughs> everywhere. Uh, he has no real grasp of like where to be, where to place himself. Um, makes a lot of these uh, quote unquote help rotations. Uh, where he quite literally will, will go to a guy like at the nail and, and just sort of stand at the nail. He doesn't really dig. He doesn't try and, and get the ball or anything. Uh, he's just actually standing there. So um, the, the defense is really the concern. And I think that as a passer, it's being overstated where I do think he is um, a, a nice passer as like a stationary guy or as a guy who finds cutters. Um but again, he's not making like a lot of these overly complex reads or anything. He's not someone that's like threading the needle a lot um, as uh, off a of movement or anything. Um, I think he is a really good connective passer again, but I don't think that he's like this, this sort of point forward. Um, but I do genuinely think he's one of the better shooters probably in this class. One of our guys at the Knicks wall had a chance to to sit and, and talk with Jovic. I know recently and he was sharing some of that insight with us. And Jovic said that his best skill is his playmaking. And he believes that that is what his, his most draftable attribute is. And I thought that was interesting because I think it's, it's pretty easy to say it's the shooting. Yeah, I think uh, some of that may be maybe agents are feeding him what to say because uh, – that that is really uh, like you know if you can get a six nine guy who really sees himself as this playmaker, um, that's super valuable for a lot of teams. Um, but it, I I do think he does see himself in that in that mold as well because when you watch a lot of these games, he's put uh, he's he's like bringing the ball up the court a lot of times. Um, he's somebody that handles the ball sort of a lot for his team. Uh, so I understand why he thinks that, but I think the the thing that you could bank on most for Jovic is his shooting. Uh, I think there's some upside there as like a movement shooter, which you just don't really see out of a guy his size. Um, he's someone that like closeouts do not affect him at all, which is something I always really look at uh, for for shooters. Um, and he's somebody that doesn't need a lot of space and can get it off efficiently. Uh, and he has really good footwork too, offensively. I think that's something Thing that doesn't get talked about a lot with Jovic is he's somebody that has a lot of these sort of counter moves. Um, for, even if the handle isn't there, I think the footwork has a lot of these pivots and things um, that can get him a little bit of space to get a shot off and he doesn't need much to do it. So uh, that's, that's really the optimistic sell I think for Jovic in terms of the offense. Um, but uh, the defense is, is like a ma- massive red flag for me. And I think that's probably why I'm a bit lower on him uh, than a lot of people. Yeah, and it's hard to say that's not a valid concern, right? When you when you watch Jovic tape, like it's it's really remarkable, like noticeably bad he is on on defense on almost every possession. 
He just stands, yeah. he stands out in a way that, like you said, like six eleven, like it's not hard to just kind of blend in. There, no guy, almost no guy, is going to be someone who's yeah consistently making the the right read every single possession in the game. There's always going to be mistakes, especially a guy his age. But um, when you're uh, like one or two times a game, like I'm, I'm trying to be like as honest here as possible. He, there's maybe one or two times a game where he's actually making the right read defensively. Like it, it is very, very bad. There's certain contexts like uh, North Carolina state or Toledo, where you see that the defense gets broken and uh, everyone's sort of trying to scram and, and things like that. But when you watch Jovic and his team, there's not a lot of that. It's a lot of Jovic, uh, being the, the primary cause of why people are scrambling uh, because he, he he puts everything out of order defensively and it becomes sort of chaotic. Um, it, it is uh, usually a guy, his size has some semblance of where to be or, or make some sort of rotation. Uh, but if a lack of effort and a lack of just a wherewithal of knowing where to be, uh, those two things combined is a real red flag for me in terms of uh, the, what he is, um, defensively, um, and offensively people that are high on him are really viewing him as this point forward, this dynamic playmaker who can shoot a lot off the dribble. Uh, and while some of that may be true, um, I don't think that he is sort of this, uh, crazy passer or anything. He has some, uh, nice highlights. He, he's someone where I, I watched Jovic highlights before I actually watched any of his full games. And I was like, wow, this guy is a top 10 pick. Uh, there's no way he's falling outside the lottery. Um, I don't know why people have him. Anybody would have him outside the lottery. And then I watched his games and I was like, oh boy, it does not show the full picture. Um, when you really watch the defense, when you watch the the context of the passing, uh, apart from the, the highlight passes, which are the flashes are really really cool to see, but, um, they're, they're not something that I think is going to like consistently translate to an NBA level. Um, and there's a, there's just a lot of things that the highlights don't tell you. And when you watch full games, um, the, the concern I have, I think becomes a little bit more valid. Yeah. The highlights are so much fun though. I, I love <laughs> it. He's one of the guys that I, I love sending like little clips to my my friends that aren't like deep in the draft stuff and, you know, you can really sell them on, on like a, you know, Jovic step back or, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You can, uh, you can send that to your friends and they'll be like, why aren't we taking him 11th? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I will say he is the youngest prospect that we're talking about in this group. And he, yeah. He's, he's still young. He's really young. He's 18 as we're recording this podcast. I think he'll be 19 at some point, I believe is this week from, you know, depending on when you're listening to it, <laughs> but how much of that, you know, will be potential development defensively specifically. I'm not sure. I, I do believe in the offensive flashes enough I have him as a right on like the cusp of an outside lottery grade purely because of, you know, I do believe in the playmaking flashes and the shooting I think is, is there. And I think you're, you're taking one of the better shooters in the, in the draft that, and what I love about him as a shooter so much, and you kind of touched on it is he gets it off so quickly and between the, the height, like just off the catch and even, you know, self-creating like he gets the shot off and unlike Jane who can get it off and it's bad, <laughs> right. He, he can really shoot the ball and his ability to, to be able to get the shot off from a lot of different, you know, it's a very versatile shooter. Yeah. And one of the, one of the more one of the more versatile shooters, I would say, in in this class, in terms of when you relate it back to height as well. So, um, the the shooting is, like I said, it is really really special. I have him as like uh, a, a guy in the thirties. Um, so I'm not like completely out on him, like I am more with Jiang. Um, and again, both these guys, like, there's some guys where I just don't see, um. I won't name anyone specifically, but I'm just like, I don't see how people have this guy top 20 or anything. 
with Jiang and, and, and Jovic, I, I do see like, I see the reasoning and the rationale behind why someone would, would have them much higher than I do. Yeah. And I think it'll be interesting. I, he's another guy with a pretty decent variance that I have no real concept of where he'll go. And I would guess late first if gun to my head, but could I see him, you know, somebody taking a flyer on him earlier? Absolutely. Could I see him falling because he's an absolute travesty on defense? Yeah. Yeah. So, I think, uh, I think workouts, workouts will be, uh, interesting for him. Um, I think, uh, uh, I'm usually not one uh, to to buy. I mean, I don't really buy into workouts personally, but uh, I'm not sure. I don't have a great grasp on how much teams value them. Uh, I think in general they're not a huge thing, but with uh, with Jovic specifically, they could be. <laughs> well, that I mean, if we're gonna listen to the stories, the three on three workout is why the Knicks took Kevin Knox. So <laughs> yeah, uh, hopefully <laughs> things have changed. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll see about that. But the next guy I want to talk about. We're going to kind of reverse the role because you're a little higher on than me here. And this is Usman Jang's teammate. I will just say Hugo Bassan. You can get a little more French with the, the pronunciation if you want. Yeah. Uh, before we recorded our podcast on Upside Swings, we had like 10 minutes of deliberating on how to say his name. I've heard it, Hugo Bassan, and... Uh, I've also heard him say Hugo Basson. And so usually the, the Basson part, I'll, I'll pronunciate the Hugo. I'll just, I'll leave it Americanized. Um, but he is definitely someone that uh, I'm higher on. I think then uh, I don't know if I'm higher on than a lot of people. Cause I have him more in the mid twenties as a first guy. Um, so I wouldn't say I'm like exceptionally high. I don't have him. I came into the season having him lottery. I've lowered a little bit since then, but uh, I do think that he is somebody I'm, uh, but I would bank on to be a rotational player, at least in the NBA. So sell me then what you have them in that range, which I think is, is fair and not super uncommon. I have them in the forties. What, what is the, the reason to believe in Hugo Besson? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I've, some of it, is predicated on uh, watching him in the French league. And again, that's not overly accessible film for a lot of people. So I understand that um, there's sort of this perspective gets lost when, when discussing Basson, but I think that he, he played a lot more point guard and, and lead initiator in that context before getting to the NBL. Um, he's somebody that uh, was like a fearless slasher in, in, in France uh, getting to the rim. There'd be times when there's like uh, two big, that they crowd him in the paint and he'll go right at them and draw the foul. Um, he is really fearless in that context and was a really uh, phenomenal passer as well. Uh, in the NBL, I think he is more relegated to an off-ball role where they had a lot more guards there, so there's less need for him to be that initiator. Um, but I do think that uh, he's a pretty solid shooter, um, both catch and shoot and uh, off the dribble. Um, the off the dribble stuff is more prevalent again in France, but uh, in the NBL, um, the flashes, if you're, if you're really looking for them, you can find them in terms of the passing. Um, I think that he is, uh, really special as a reactive passer. So when plays are broken or guys are coming towards him, uh, he's able, he's, he doesn't have a great handle to get out of, um, defensive pressure, but he's able to pass out of it at a, an exceptional rate. Um, the, the problem with Basson as a passer is that they're not always the most accurate. Uh, he has throws like a lot of high passes or to the left passes. Um, so that's something he needs to work on. But um, I do think that he is more top tier in this class in terms of vision and what he sees as a passer than I think a lot of people give him credit for. Or And uh, being able to do that uh, paired with the shooting, and he has a really good finisher, um, those three things are, are something that I, I can just uh, sort of project uh, on my end as, as something that I, I, I believe will um, be an NBA level and, and uh, even if it's off the bench, be a productive guard. Yeah, and I think if, you know, when I've talked myself into him throughout the process, I've been pretty up and down 
depending on you know how I feel and with more tape I watch, I'm so intrigued. And then I kind of talk myself out of them. I think a, a bench scoring role is a realistic expectation for him. Right. And yeah. what is that, what is that worth? I guess that, that depends on your, your draft philosophy. I see it. I don't know if I see him being like a, a really, you know, elite scorer. Yeah. I think uh, there's not a lot of guys in this class. I think that provide what Basson does as a passer. Um, and I think that uh, again, He's he is I think probably more projects more likely projects to be at sort of like the sixth or seventh man off the bench that that's sort of your your lead guard for your second unit, uh, but I think there's you know lineups where you could stagger him in with the starters here and there uh, to be sort of your off ball guy, um, and that was I think sort of the beauty of the NBL context. Well, it didn't highlight uh, some of the aspect of the game that I like even more with Basson in terms of the passing. Uh, it did highlight for those that have been able to, to get a hold of the French tape that he's capable of playing both these sort of roles. Uh, and I think um, I really like those sort of guys where uh, they don't have to be like, for example, Kennedy Chandler. I think it, it sort of has to be this point guard. Um, I don't think he's really much of an off ball guy at this point in time, being able to to do that with Basson and, and sort of balance between the two and, and give your team more lineup versatility uh, and play alongside more guys is, is something that I think I value as well. So uh, I, I really like that aspect of Hassan. And I think defensively, he's not fantastic, but I don't think he's like a huge liability either. So especially at six, would he come in at six, five or something at the combine? So um, I, he, was a, I, he was a little taller than I expected. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he has the, the, T-Rex arms, um, the the negative wingspan, but um, I don't think he's a complete liability on that end either. So when you pair that with the, with the offense, uh, and like I said, he he does, he's a really good slasher and uh, really good finisher. Um, So I I think he sort of has the three level scoring as a, uh, as an offensive player, uh, which is, I I guess, just sort of the, the basic sell for him. Yeah. And I will say, I, expect him to have some like some real summer league moments. Yeah. Summer league is made for him. <laughs> yeah. So I think that'll be fun. I mean, whoever drafts him, I think we'll definitely be excited when, you know, he just gets hot in Vegas. And also there is something with him of like, I don't know if you'd call it, you know, an aggression or fearlessness that is at the very least aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't buy into a lot of the, uh, uh, you know, the, the floor slapping or that the grind hashtag built different stuff. But uh, I think that um, there, there is an aspect to uh, confidence um, that I think is important. Uh, I think that a lack of confidence can be detrimental in some ways, uh, but when you have an overabundance, it can also be detrimental. And I think Basan has sort of just the, the right amount to where it's it's not quite detrimental, but it, it's teetering on the edge. I was gonna um, say it's it's there, it's borderline. He's got some swagger. Yeah, he's uh he's definitely got the um the uh confidence to to he he won't find a shot he doesn't like, but it's not to it's not necessarily a bad shot because I think Pasan is capable of making a, a, a large variety of shots. So uh, I, I think that he is, you want that confidence as a guard, uh, as a slasher at the very least. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is a, a pretty French heavy podcast. I guess this is a, a French heavy international class. And the next guy I want to talk about stayed in France. And that is Ishmael Kamagate. Yeah. Kamagate is a, uh, Kamagate is one of the, I think, safer international guys uh, in this year's class. Um, I feel pretty, pretty confident he'll be like a positive rotation NBA player, uh, most likely as a, a backup center. Um, but I think that uh, he is like exceptionally strong. Um, I think he has a very simplistic game. When you watch Kamagate, he's someone that's going to be uh, in the pick and roll a lot. And he does uh, roll very well, I think. Um, somebody that I think gets to the rim out of roles. He slips 
uh, screens very well. Um, and he, his game is relegated to the paint on both ends pretty much. Uh, I think Kamagate is more of a traditional center. Um, but he's ridiculously athletic, gets off the ground very quickly. Uh, very much a lob threat, someone that um, you love to have. Uh, he, he makes these nice little backdoor cuts and reads the, those very well as someone that can get like five feet away from the basket, cut towards the rim, be a lob threat. Um, like I said, read screens very well. Doesn't set them exceptionally well for the frame that he has. I think he could be a better screen setter than what he showed in France this year, but um, he does pass out of uh, roles fairly well. Uh, not sure he can be like a consistent short roll guy, but um, mostly in the low post uh, when he's, he's posting up can pass out of that. So uh, I think he's a pretty simplistic player, but what he brings is something that I think you have a high amount of confidence in translating. Um, and as a backup guy, a backup center, he plays 12, 15 minutes a night. You can see the value there. Um, so I have him more as like a, a early to mid second. Um, and I think that in that sort of role, uh, he is as good a bet as any. Yeah. I'm in that same range. And I think, you can even make a case like I don't see a huge distinction between him and say Christian Coloco or even you know, Walker Kessler. Yeah, I have Coloco and him actually just like back to back there. It's a coin flip really for me on my board in terms of who I'd prefer. Yeah. And I think, you know, he is very much a what you see is what you get kind of player. And you said it well, he's athletic, he's smart. He likes to dunk on people. <laughs> yeah if he if he has the opportunity he's gonna slam it on you he loves he loves those powerful dunks um uh and it you know it gets the team hyped up or whatever but he uh it i think the the thing with coloco is there's only so much upside as a backup center like uh, there's only so much that you're gonna get out of that uh and the replaceability level is there like um there's certain archetypes you know that just are by nature inherently easier to, uh, find, um, that there's more of those sort of guys, but, um, I, Coloco does his plays his role, uh, um, or excuse me, Kamagate <laughs> plays his role at a, uh, Coloco also a, does. Yeah. They both do. Um, Kamagate plays his role and knows his role and plays it well. So, uh, betting on that, I think is a, a fair, uh, fair bid at, you know, anywhere from the late first to, to mid second. Yeah, and I I think draft Twitter overreacted a little bit to his matchups with Wembenyama. <laughs> yeah, I think draft Twitter just loves Wembenyama so much that anything anybody does positive against him is a a huge boost for someone's draft stock. Yeah, and I think <laughs> Kamagate is a, a prime example of that. With like, there were people like, should he not be a top twenty pick? No, he shouldn't be a top twenty pick. But he, he's a safe he's a safe bet. I agree. Where, wherever you value. And again, that's kind of based off need and, and philosophy, right? We know some teams and some front offices don't want to waste draft picks on a player like that, where you can take Isaiah Hartenstein or, or whoever, right. And, and fill that role, whichever Plumlee is still available. And yeah. Yeah. There's probably another one down the pipeline. I'm sure there is, <laughs> but he's also someone that I think is a, is a safe bet, especially when you look at, you know, guys like Jovic and, and Jang that have these really tantalizing flashes and upside. Yeah. I, I trust that Kamigate will be a successful NBA player in a way that I don't trust that Jang will be. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, you know, probably the, the driving force as to why I have Kamigate higher on my board in terms of these guys. But, um, you know, if you can find yourself a guy who, gives you productive NBA minutes um, in the draft, then I think that's a win. So uh, Kamagata is a good bet to do that. Yeah. And within the context for, for the Knicks and for the Knicks fans listening, like if he's available at 42, if they don't go big at 11, that's a, I think a very realistic, whatever you want to call Mitchell Robinson insurance type, type of move. <laughs> Uh, I want to finish and we'll, we'll group these last two together and we don't need to go quite as long, but there are two players that are from Italy that people seem to, to fall in love with. I have fallen in love with one of them myself and I have both of them in the kind of late first, early second 
grade, even though I don't know if either of them will be, you know, drafted in that range or drafted at all. Could we, you know, more stash type players, but that is Mateo Spaniola and Gabriel Pochita. Yeah. Um, Pochita is someone I haven't watched a lot of this cycle. I know he's risen up a lot of people's boards since last year when he sort of came on the radars. Um, Unfortunately, I haven't dug into him quite yet. Uh, I definitely plan to before the draft comes around, but there's just so much tape I have to to grind out because um, I'm a procrastinator and waited till the, the final couple months to do it. Um, but uh, with Mateo, I, I definitely have watched, um, you know, I think maybe five or six of his games now. Um, I, I'm going to be honest. I just, I don't see it with Mateo. Uh, hopefully you can, you know, maybe change my perception. I think he's uh, pretty far off from being like a positive rotation NBA guy. Um, I think he's a really good passer. I don't think he's like fantastic, pretty decent out of the pick and roll. Um, I do think he has really good touch. That's something that stood out to me. Uh, I think that uh, floater game is, is on point there. Um, the, the, the real problem I have with him on both ends is the screens. Um, he is, he, I mean, most guys aren't great at screen navigation at his age um, or his size, but he, he is like detrimental when it comes to screens. Um, defensively, he absolutely dies. And when, once he gets a screen, that's the end of uh, Mateo on that, on that side of the ball. But um, <clears throat> offensively is, is more my <clears throat> bigger concern uh, with the, the amount of screens he needs to really get into uh, an initiator sort of role. Um, I think that he relies on screens pretty heavily to sort of jumpstart any sort of offense because of the lack of consistent handle. Um, And that's more my bigger concern with him. Uh, The shooting is interesting. He has like sort of this funky form um, and it, it works for him. So I'm not like, you know, I'm not going to knock him a ton with it, but um, there's there's mechanically i'm not sure how sustainable it is long term because there, there's like some weird things going on there and i'm not much of a shot doctor um but it it, it definitely like doesn't look right when you watch it um at, but overall yeah I, I think there's just other um there's other international actually point guard bets i think i'd take before i look at mateo and look i i will be fully honest like I have a type and Mateo just fits it to a T and that does not mean he will be a a contributing NBA player. I think I've fallen in love with a lot of guys like him that are doing great in Europe. And that might be his, his pathway. He's a very European style of player. I don't necessarily use that as a good or a bad thing. Right. And I think a lot of the things that you're describing in his game are not uncommon of, of European guards, right? And he, so for those who don't know, he played in Real Madrid, which is obviously a higher level, having come from Italy originally and playing, you know, so he's another guy that's played in some different contexts and that changes kind of what his role has been. I think when you watch some of his earlier stuff, like the, the playmaking flashes, I just fall in love with. Because he does have some really flashy, flashy passing. Yeah, he's got the he's got the highlights for sure. And I, I really I I love it. Now, is he better than like Nick's draft pick from last year, Rogus Yokobitis? Not necessarily. Right? Yeah, I loved Rokus in his year. I think Rokas is probably like he might be like your third best prospect on that team in terms of the young guys. I, I really like him. You're speaking my language now. I, <laughs> I, I love Rokas a lot. I loved him before the draft. I was so happy the Knicks took him. I love what he's done this year. And we could extend this pot another hour and just talk about Rokas. <laughs> I'd be happy. Um, Any, anytime I'm down to talk about Rokas, we'll, we'll come back to that. Oh yeah. We, I'm going to bring you on and we're just going to do a Rokas special. <laughs> Absolutely um, down. But I, I would put Mateo in that sort of like, and I did have Rokas higher last year than I, than I have Mateo this year. 
but that sort of guard combo-y, you know, has the the playmaking flashes with some real high-level passing that needs to put it together a little more, but can score too. And just a, a little bit of everything. I, I do believe in this, the shot and he has a really crafty and crafty is wildly overused for all white European <laughs> prospects. And I know this, <laughs> but a, a crafty way of, of getting it off and, and getting to his shot. He over dribbles like hell. And I think that's okay sometimes, right? For a younger player that, you know, you would still need to develop. And I think of these guys, he's probably the one that I think is most realistically a stash. Yeah, for sure. I think the the big differentiator for me with, with Mateo and Rokas and just in general, Mateo, how I view Mateo and perceive him relative to other people is I, I think he has a lot of, there's a lot of handle without a lot of substance. Like I, I don't think there's a lot of room pressure there. Um, and I think that's my bigger concern with him. Um, like he is a pretty solid passer, but he's limited to the passes he can access without the real rim pressure there. So if he's limited, so for example, like if you're just on the perimeter, there's only a certain amount of passes that you're able to make because you're no longer sucking in defenses when, you, when you're getting rim pressure and going towards the rim, right? You're, you're, you're not able to get guys to come towards you or break down a defense. So there's only a certain amount of, of passes you're able to access. Um, and I think that's sort of the, the problem I have with Mateo at this point in time is that, that he, he, he has the passing chops, but not the passing accessibility. And I think that sort of limits the, the amount of what Mateo can bring to an NBA team. Yeah, and to give a, a slight defense, now I'm not pushing back too hard. Again, I think a lot of the, the structure of the offense that he was playing in kind of called for that. It was, you know, very screen heavy. <laughs> yeah. And not, you know, if you watch him, he'll like, he'll come off like three screens with the ball in a single possession <laughs> and just kind of re, you know, Renavigate like three different times, and it's very strange to watch, given you know what we expect here. Yeah, people people talk about Branham being like a screen merchant, but I think uh, I think <laughs> Mateo takes the cake in this class. <laughs> yeah, and I I don't think that's necessarily the worst thing because in, with the right development. You know, again, very possible he's just a, a European point guard his whole career. But I, I believe there's some stuff that could be kind of trained out of him or just, you know, seeing and putting him in a different system and development. I think, you know, if he comes over, he would need some G League time. And I I think that's okay for, you know, again, not uncommon for young European point guards. Yeah. And, you know, if he is a European guy, credit to him because just to be at that level is ridiculous amount of talent, um, especially at his age, getting the role that he did, um, you know, sort of speaks volumes. So uh, even if that is the case for him, uh, all credit to him because not very many guys even get that opportunity. Yeah. And he's really young too, right? A lot of times when we see that sort of prospect and you see that player that, has now moved already to, to a team like Real Madrid that, you know, that's a 21, 22 year old that, that we're looking at. He's still 19. He got opportunity in, you know, in a high, high level contextual situation. It's, it's enough for me to believe in, in, in the second round for sure. And then he's a guy that I'm, I'm really going to be rooting for. Although again, I'm not quite sure what it'll look like. And, you know, where he he's really valued for NBA teams. Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll be interested to see if he gets drafted. The, the other guy I want to talk about, I know you're, you're less familiar with, but I, I do have Gabriel Presida as a late first grade. I think, I don't he, think you're, I don't think you're alone in that either. I've, I've heard other people have him that high. I have him let me look at my board here. I have him 27th on my board. 
which I think is, is pretty high. I know there are some people with them even higher. So <laughs> he he's an interesting evaluation. He's like your classic, like you can't really talk about Gabriel Prashida without using like cliche white prospect, you know, like sneak, sneakily athletic, like deceptively, <laughs> deceptively athletic. Like it, it's very funny to me to watch him. Um, He's a really interesting player. So for those of you who don't know, he came from the Italian league. He's a six, seven wing with an incredibly, incredibly, incredibly pure jump shot. Like I think one of the, the smoother, better jump shots in the draft, but also he only shot like two and a half threes a game. So the volume wasn't there. There's nothing really to like completely sell you on, but he is a player that passes the eye test with flying colors. And, and when you watch him, like also he gets the credit for just being white, right? Like he'll have like fairly, fairly average, you know, put back dunks or whatever, but for a white yeah. player in, in a European <laughs> league, that's much less athletic, like just gets like some crazy announcer reactions and, you know, absolute freak outs that are very fun. Yeah. Um, he, I haven't watched him, like I said, this cycle, but uh, I have, let me see, like four remaining internationals I really have to dig on. Uh, and he's definitely like top of my priority list in terms of who I want to watch, because I know a lot of people are really high on him. I watched him a little bit last year um, and I wasn't huge on him, but, from the sounds of it, it sounds like he's taken a big step developmentally. So I'm interested to see what that looks like. Uh, and you know, I, I'm going into it with an open mind. So there's a, a fair shot that I have a mess as you do once I watch him. Yeah. And he's, you'll definitely have to to reach out and let me know. I want you, once you dive a little deeper to me of all of these guys, he is probably my favorite watch. He's really active, which is not something you could say about, this group of <laughs> international players, he moves really well without the ball. I believe in the off ball shooting a lot. And again, just a silky smooth jumper. Now, how yeah. much you believe in like the self-creation, the, you know, the step back, uh, that I think depends on your mileage, but I really I think your your baseline with him is a a high three and D wing, a, a really good athlete. He is a legitimate athlete, not just for a white European yeah. prospect. Like he is a legitimate athlete. Yeah. So he's a legitimate athlete with good size and a great jumper and good off ball movement. To me, that's a really high baseline. Yeah. Um, I mean. Wings are so valuable in the NBA and, and being able to shoot and finish uh, is, you know, the baseline of a, of a strong uh, wing and in, in value. And if you're able to defend on top of that, then uh, I think you're going to have a lot of teams that are, are, are probably looking at you. Um, I don't really have a great grasp on where he would be like on teams boards. My guess would be somewhere in the second. Um, I think draft Twitter collectively is probably a bit higher on him than, NBA front offices will be, uh, and that's, you know, draft Twitter's right a fair amount of times. So that's not discrediting them, but I think that, um, he, uh, th there's a probably a better shot, um, than most to be like this sort of, uh, second round stash guy. Uh, he might come over right away. I haven't seen him yet, but I, I um, could see, I could see him coming over. He's a little older. I think he's 20. Uh, okay, yeah. not that he couldn't still stash. Another guy that I could see being like a really fun summer league, you know, <laughs> he, he plays with a similar swagger that we described with Basson, like really unnecessarily aggressive attacking the <laughs> rim and yeah. just like, just talks his shit and just. <laughs> That's uh yeah. I think um, people people love that when it's coming from European guys, there's yeah. a lot of hype when it comes to the, the swagger that they present. But I, I think that, um, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to watching Prochita because 
uh, a lot of people that, you know, I trust their opinions and respects have him high. So, um, yeah, obviously there's something I, I need to pay attention to there. Yeah. And even if you don't fully buy in, I think you'll have fun watching him. Hey, that's always a plus. If you can have fun watching it, I, I had fun watching Mateo. So even yeah. though I'm lower on him, I still had fun. And that is where I get myself, you know, get in my own head when like there's someone I just love watching, <laughs> even yeah. though I, I could probably pick a few more nits and, and under logically, it's not fully there. I just love watching him. I'm going to keep rooting for him and talk <laughs> myself into him. Yeah. I had a, I had that problem with Alondis Williams. I have uh, so much fun watching him that I had a, I had to measure fun from functionality. So uh, it's definitely a, a thing we deal with. Yeah. So any other international prospects you want to touch on? Uh, I have, I have one more I'll throw at you. Um, uh, so his name is a tongue twister. It's a key Vanderverse de Vry. Um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with him. He's probably, he's not talked about really at all. Um, he very, very much under the radar. Good chance that he's not selected if he stays in this class. Uh, they have until um, the 13th to withdraw these international guys. So um, I'm interested to see where that lands with them. Um, but uh, he's actually one of my more preferred, like international uh, backup point guard bets. Um, doesn't have a really strong handle, uh, really, really good passer, um, really out of the pick and roll too, which is more like, I think why, I prefer him to Mateo. I think he just navigates the pick and roll really well. Um, very uh, creative passer too. He does a lot of like these, these pass fakes to get guys off the ground or um, pump fakes uh, and passes out of them. Uh, defensively, he's a mess. <laughs> Struggles on ball, a very poor lateral mover. Um, pretty much gets blown by at will, but uh, I think that uh, he's a solid catch and shoot guy as well. Um, there's just, uh, there's a baseline of like guys who can shoot as a catch and shoot guy and navigate the pick and roll that I think just give you, uh, at least some sort of optimism for a, a backup point guard. Um, and he's just a guy that I've been sort of rooting for because I don't really see a lot of people talking about him. Um, and I just sort of want to get his name out there a little bit more because I think he's worth people at least examining uh, and coming away with their own perspectives on. So um, this is a guy I, I like to show a little bit of love to because I don't think that, that a lot of people really know about him or are watching his games. He played in, in Belgium, uh, the, the BNXT league um, actually won a championship. He was the starting point guard and they won a championship uh, and he was named, I think the the championship MVP of that game. Um, so he, he has some, you know, actual success to his name as well, uh, but not a super strong league. Um, but a lot, a lot of people, I think, were sort of turned on to it last year when Vrenz Blindberg uh, came out of it. Um, friend and, of the podcast, Vrenz Blindberg. Yeah, friend, friend of the pod, friend of almost every pod because he uh, <laughs> he had a, he had a lot of appearances. Um, but he, uh, yeah, I think he sort of fit the the Belgian league a little bit on the map for for some people and. Uh, Van Vanderverse de Vrij, I think, is a name worth at the very least checking out. I look into him. It's also a good name. And I was yeah. like, like <laughs> his jersey's name. his jersey's gonna be like a full circle because yeah. of how long it is. <laughs> I also want to shout out Carlo Makovic quickly, who I can't say I really see it for. <laughs> but he had a fun pro day and another like athletic white guy that gets the bump for being, you know, an athletic white guy. Yeah. Uh he's a he's interesting. I don't really have him as draftable, but I see why people do. Uh I know there's some people that are like really in on, on Makovic. Um the, the final guy too, I know I was gonna just say one guy, but um as always, as is tradition with me, <laughs> make it more drawn out than it has to be. I'll, I'll throw out really quickly uh Shambor Maranka. Um not a lot of people, I think another guy who who gets doesn't really get talked about my guess is that he withdraws and comes back next year i am so sorry about that our 
just having some technical difficulties. So apologies that uh, Stone didn't get to finish his thoughts there on those international prospects, but you can check out his podcast where he did talk about some of those more obscure guys. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on stone. And this was a ton of fun. The international class is really one of my favorite things to look at in any draft. And this is always one of my favorite podcasts. It's one of my favorite things to write about. You can check out my article on all of the guys we talked about today came out last Thursday and put a lot of work into that. So please, I, I going to plug myself just for a minute, but I, I do appreciate you checking that out. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at not the fake and see with underscores in between and check out all of the great draft content that we have coming on the next wall. We've got a mock draft coming out soon. It's been a lot of work and I hope you guys all appreciate it. And for our guest today, um, Stone Hansen, I'm very grateful for coming on. He does great work co-host upside swings podcast where they've been doing daily daily podcasts and, and really grinding over there to get ready for the draft so check them out you can follow him at report underscore court and that is all i have for you so thanks for listening and we will see you next week with our final episode and some mock draft coverage before the draft comes out all right enjoy